Hello, and welcome to the latest instalment of Insights Podcast, where we discuss the latest in payments and finance. My name is George Inden, and I'll be your host for this episode. One of the matters which is constantly in focus, especially with the increase in fraudulent transactions and the misuse of technology especially, is safeguarding transactions and the various problems that come with it. Today, to help me break down some of those issues, I'm joined by Autorec Global Payment Sales Manager, Nick Bother. Nick, thanks for joining us. Would you be able to give us a brief rundown about your role at Autorec? Yes, thanks, George. Thanks for having me today. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Nick Bowers. I'm the Global Payment Sales Manager here. Essentially, my role at the at the organization is to work really closely with a lot of firms within the payment sector, ultimately to look at their different operational flows and see where a platform like Autorec um, is able to help facilitate automation um, and streamline a lot of their processes. Um, Autorec is an end-to-end financial controls platform, which essentially works via the automation of data management processes, reconciliations, reporting, and workflows, and ultimately is there to to you know save save firms a lot of time and money in their uh, day to day BAU operational processes. Um, further to you know working with clients to to onboard them to to the Autorec platform, I work really closely you know with the Payments Association and different working groups around the globe. Um, just to ensure that um, you know our software is in line with the the regulators' um, expectations and you know what the market is asking for, and translating that message back to our organization. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, here to share some expertise in terms of what the what the industry is saying at the moment regarding uh, the safeguarding practices that they follow, um, and hopefully, it's a, a huge value add to the listeners. Fantastic, thank you. So. Uh, let's dive straight into it. So what would you say are some of the current trends that we're seeing when it comes to compliance in terms of, you know, the current safeguarding regulations that are in place at the moment? So currently, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, the regulators are, are trying to figure out um, exactly what this needs to look like going forward. Um, at the at the present time, you know, there's very loose guidance. Um, what this means is that firms are struggling to make sense a little bit about what correct looks like. Uh, no two firms are the same. You know, we speak with a lot of organizations and it's fair to say no two firms look uh, exactly the same. And I think that becomes very difficult to regulate from a regulator's perspective, but even harder for firms to comply with with the regulation. Um, so there's a heavy reliance on, uh, you know, audit partners, so audit firms to help um, correct firms in terms of the, the direction that they need to travel. Um, and because of this, um, there's a lot of manual processes that are involved in each of the phases to help achieve um, the compliance with, with with regard to safeguarding, and and that again lends itself to a, a couple challenges, which I think we can um, dive into a bit more detail as as we go through this podcast. Of course, um, and you know we know that the FCA is taking measures to ensure that safeguarding regulations are being followed. Um, there's been lots of noise around that. Um, so what? Is the FCA's stance on the measures, and um, what are their requirements of firms to ensure that you know firms are, are complying properly? Well, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, safeguarding is all about customer protection. You know, um, the FCA and different regulators just want to make sure that firms exercise their obligations to their clients to keep their funds segregated correctly, so that in the event of uh, any insolvency or any issues. That clients essentially receive all their funds back, you know, really simply put. Um, so, you know, what the FCA is mandating is, um, you know, external audits happening annually to make sure that um, firms are um, compliant. Um, I probably would say that firms need to look at more 
um, you know, BAU processes uh, in terms of not just looking at an annual audit where they spend, you know, months preparing for that audit. It should become almost part of the the, the natural BAU. Um, and I know that the FCA is also looking to improve um, on the existing guidance um, in 2024 and beyond uh, with the introduction of, of things like safeguarding handbooks and more explicit rules um, defining what firms need to do and what they shouldn't be doing. So it's likely that we'll see a lot of changes happening from from this year moving forward. And uh, at Autorate, you obviously um, you deal a lot with with clients in this in this industry. Um, what would you say are their stances um, and what they're being asked to do? What's the sort of industry reaction at the moment? Um, so I think you know we alluded to it a little bit there, um, but I, I I think you know. Um, it's really about uh, being a little bit unsure at this point in time. Um, I think, you know, they, they're doing what they can to be compliant. Obviously, you know, all firms want to do that. Um, I think over the past four or five years, um, you know, there's been an abundance of new, uh, you know, uh, payment service firms introduced into the market, um, offering a, a wide variety of different, you know, financial services to the industry, uh, which is fantastic, um, you know, because it obviously creates more competition and um, there's more efficiency um, in, in different ways and methods of, of uh, performing these pa- these payment services, um, and it also results in in cheaper payments for for organisations, um, which which is fantastic. But with this introduction of all these firms and all these different services, um, it, it becomes very difficult to um, regulate. It becomes very difficult to um, make sure that these firms are, are, are staying compliant in terms of what they need to do. Um, and it's all just a little bit messy at this point in time, just as the feedback that we're getting. Um, you know, from, from our perspective, I think um, I'm relatively excited about, you know, the introduction of, of more stringent rules um, because it, it makes, um, it, it can make the process a little bit more easier. But we have seen firms, um, you know, raise some concerns in terms of what this means from a cost perspective, but also from a, a BAU perspective. So um, it's, I think it's going to be an interesting um, start to, to to the new year. So from, from your perspective then, would you say that um, the stringent measures which are being brought in, is that a means of, um, is that going to help tidy the situation as it were? Yeah, it should do, um, um, but I suppose the the knock on effect of that are things like more stringent um, consequences for non compliance. <laughs> I think that's really where the concern is. Um, for example, um, what we've seen in the cash space many years ago, you know, organisations of a large size, uh, you know, being dealt pretty heavy fines by the regulators. Uh, which they are able to facilitate um, for non-compliance. But in, in the case of a small uh, payments organization, uh, an EMI organization, as an example, you know, what's the likelihood of them being able to do that? So, yes, I do think that it will add value um, in terms of the end customer. But for the firms, it ha- has definitely raised some eyebrows and some concerns moving forward. So in your opinion, then, what would you say... Um and we, we've touched on it slightly, but what would you say are the risks to the wider financial service integrity if firms continue in, in sort of missing the mark when it comes to compliance? Yeah, so, you know, yeah, we alluded to it there briefly in, in the previous question, but really, you know, we've seen an exciting growth phase for the payment sector, you know, over maybe the, the, the last four or five years. 
Uh, it definitely escalated after sort of the COVID time um, with a lot of introduction of new players in the market. And it's fantastic for for the end customers to have the, um, you know, the options uh, available to them. I suppose um, with firms, more firms failing to comply, um, you know, there's going to be less confidence in these payment service firms being able to facilitate and look after customer funds. And when, you know, you lose the confidence in the market, I think we're going to see a lot of um, consolidation in the market. Um, you know, in, in our working group at the Payments Association Project Regulator um, over the past few months, safeguarding has absolutely been one of the key talking points that we've been engaging with the FCA on. It's obviously becoming front of mind um, for a lot of these organizations Um that are not only a part of the the working groups, but also um, just wider conversations being had in the market about, you know, how does or what does success look like for for safeguarding? As we mentioned at the top of this podcast, um, you know, it is very ambiguous. Um, you know, it's not very uh, stringent, um, and and that creates a lot of confusion. And I think we're trying to iron out what what good looks like moving forward. I see, um, and I suppose what would you say needs to be done? Um, what what needs to be done to bring more awareness to this issue, in your opinion? Then, um, I think you know having uh, open forums, um, you know having open conversations with um, not only the payments industry but different industries that have adopted um, you know similar types of regulations. Um, we also have conversations with firms outside of the UK, uh, the likes of Canada, Singapore, Israel. Um, uh, Organ- uh, countries across the EU, um, and I think you know the the different regulators leveraging off each other to create a more standardised approach to what this looks like would definitely add huge value. So I don't think we should look be looking at this in isolation. You know, we speak about this all the time that payments is not um, specific to any one ge- geography. You know, payments is payments around the globe. Um, we're looking to move to a more a global ecosystem of payments. Um, and that's what everyone's striving towards. So I think a regulation like this, like a safeguarding regulation to protect the end customer should be uh, shared across all the different geographies. So really just creating open forums, creating, um, you know, conversation to be had around what good looks like, and then leveraging off uh, different geographies that are implementing this successfully. We've seen this in the instant payments uh, rails around the globe, how, you know, it started off in the in the UK and with faster payments being a huge success and how that's now uh, growing around the globe with the likes of uh, the US now, which is a huge market for the industry onboarding, you know, the Fed now. Um, likewise, we should be doing the same thing with safeguarding. You know, can- Canada is looking very closely to the to the to the UK to see what good looks like. Um, I know the likes of Israel are doing the same thing in Singapore. So, um, definitely creating an open forum for for sharing ideas and and what good looks like will will definitely lend itself to um, you know more success and more confidence being brought to the market. Right. Okay. Um, and so what would you say are some of the um, best safeguarding practices you can re- recommend to firms? First of all, ensure that you have a strong safeguarding audit partner. Um, there's firms that are specializing in in safeguarding audits, and I would definitely recommend bringing them on board sooner rather than later. Um, we've seen, um, you know, a lot of feedback come from from these audit firms, positive and negative, but at least it's 
pointing organizations in the right direction, i.e. you're not alone. There are uh, experts out there to, to, to help you. Um, I also would make sure that your firms aren't relying on one, one or two key stakeholders within the business um, to perform your safeguarding uh, processes and practices. Um, um, <clears throat> you know, if you can create that culture and everyone uh, within the, um, the the process understands what the effect of their roles are to achieving compliance um, will definitely add a huge amount of value. And with that being said, also, you know, we, we, we come from a world of, of automation here at Autorec and we see a lot of firms performing a, these things on, on, on manual spreadsheets. And often enough, that's the feedback from the, from the audit firms to say, you know, you need to move away from, from manual uh, processes and, and spreadsheets because, um, you know, there's a lot of aggregation done. And when you're trying to be very specific to client funds being segregated, aggregation is, is, is not the answer. Um, trying to find a quick win is not the answer. So, you know, look look for partners out there, not just audit partners, but potentially tech partners or or other partners that will be able to help facilitate automating a lot of the processes that don't need to be done manually. And when it when it comes to enforcing safeguarding audits, what is the FCA's play, and and sort of how can we? I know you, you just briefly mentioned it, but how can automation benefit firms in regards to their safeguarding practices, you know, in slightly more detail? Yeah, so again, I think it's important to understand how firms are currently doing this. So, you know, what what we always say to clients, simply put, there's, there's three elements that, that we speak about. Um, there's, there's the regulation, there's the reconciliations, and there's the relevant funds calculation. So essentially, you know, any updates or changes to the regulations, you need to stay on top of those. And that's really where that, that audit partner comes into play, where they can really guide you and point you in the di- right direction. And with an automated system in place, um, you'd be able to um, adapt quickly to any changes that have been made by the regulators. So in a world where organizations are really worried about the potential of uh, changes being made and what the effect might have and how they may implement that, uh, you know, in an automated world, it becomes a lot more streamlined and straightforward. Uh, the reconciliation element, um, you know, th- this is what, um, you know, Autoric does um, uh, for all of our clients. We, we really help automate the, the entire end-to-end reconciliation process, both your internal and external recon- reconciliations. And this is hugely important um, to make sure that that is done in a timely manner. Um, if you can do that in a timely manner, um, you know, we've, we've dealt with firms that are, are performing their, their reconciliations on a T plus five basis where, you know, you, you, there's just no world where that will be acceptable by any, um, you know, auditors or regulators. So, you know, moving that to a more real time, um, uh, you know, process where you're doing a T plus zero. So it's happening real time. You're able to report effectively on those reconciliations and ultimately create confidence for, for your, your clients. And then the last thing is the relevant funds calculation. So, you know, if there's rules brought into play, which defines how relevant funds need to be calculated, again, that ties back to the regulations, but at least you'll be able to calculate relevant funds to, to the exact penny. And I think that's what I mentioned in the previous answer was around, you know, how firms uh, use spreadsheets, aggregate figures up and round off figures. And then, you know, you're sort of covering yourself within your safeguarded accounts. But the funds that are actually sitting in your safeguarded accounts are not accurate. Um, in the event of insolvency, you know, you have to go and do 
almost like a backward reconciliation to figure out which funds belong where because it's it's not calculated to to the penny. Um, and I think automation and more streamlined processes allow to 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 make sure that those calculations are done to the exact penny. Um, and again, this is feedback that we've that we've heard from the audit firms to to make sure that that is what firms are are being able to do on a on a day to day basis, not a T plus one or a T plus two basis. So uh, on the T plus one and T plus two basis, would you say that um, one of the main issues with the space at the moment is a large proportion of firms are still doing it in this way? Would you say that you know there's a, a huge um, gap for automation to move in there and make life as easy as possible? Absolutely. Uh, I think, you know, it's very rare unless a firm has onboarded a a, a, a vendor or a tech partner um, within the last couple of years, I would say, that there's very, very few organizations that would be f- performing their safeguarding processes, not just the reconciliations, but everything that sits outside of that, you know, in terms of you know, liquidity management, reporting, um, all of those things that that sort of form part of that uh, safeguarding process. It's very rare that we'll have a conversation with with someone in the market that is that is doing this in an automated way. Right. Okay. So, um, from your perspective, then obviously you help lots of clients from where you are. Um, what would you say are some of the main benefits of using partners to help facilitate effective safeguarding of client funds? So I think we've we've spoken a little bit about the benefits of automation, um, but there you know there, there's a lot of other additional benefits. Um, that that a partner could absolutely help with. I think one of the one of the the obvious benefits is a, is a clear audits and control that can be achieved. Um, that that will also help streamline your audit process and save you time and money within those processes. So, and that ties into what we mentioned earlier about um, creating a culture of um, you know safeguarding rather than just having a few key stakeholders managing that process. Um, you know. Um, also within safeguarding, there's a, there's a lot of different teams within an organization that are responsible to achieve compliance within safeguarding. You know, you'll have your operations, finance, treasury teams all working um, across different uh, different streams and different operational processes. But ultimately, you know, that, that should all be, in, you know, um, within one um, single source of truth. Um, but at the moment, it's done in disparate systems, many different spreadsheets, and the likelihood of any errors being transferred between those is, is very high. So in an automated world, when you have a single source of truth um, that everyone is pulling information off, um, it lends itself to, 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 to better compliance. Um, you can also build in controlled workflows, which a lot of firms have, um, but it's not really built into um, their BAU process. It's more just... Um, done on an, on an ad hoc basis. So again, that helps facilitate, you know, escalation management or sign-off processes, um, which tie the loop to that end-to-end process of financial control. And also, you know, we, we speak about, um, you know, liquidity um, management uh, a lot with clients uh, when it comes to safeguarding. So you move to a more real-time nature of liquidity management, um, you know, in an automated world instead of looking um, you know, in a T plus one, T plus two world. So it gives you that real-time insight into, um, you know, where your funds are, uh, how your cash flow looks, and, um, you know, reporting becomes a lot more streamlined off the back of that. And I think ultimately what all of this does, George, is it, it lends itself to more confidence 
to your clients that their funds are being looked after in a controlled manner. Um, that's really what, what, what I would encourage firms to look to do. Ultimately, what that would do is um, it creates a very strong brand awareness in the market for your firm. Um, so, so not just looking at customer acquisition, which has been a key focus of a lot of firms over the past four, sort of five five years or so, um, post that um, maybe that uh, that COVID world where everyone was trying to look for their market share. Um, I think more more now is to, is to look at those those core operations and those core platforms that sits at the middle and back office to help facilitate. Um, you know, uh, that confidence in, in your client base. And ultimately, that would lead to a real strong brand recognition in the market. It's certainly, there's some certainly some fantastic points in there. Um, and I think, you know, conversations such as this can certainly help with, um, you know, bring more awareness as to the, the impact of automation and just what firms like Autorecker are actually doing to help companies. Um, but just finally, what would you say is the direction of travel from the FCA's perspective when it comes to maybe how safeguarding regulations might change in the coming months um, and the rest of 2024? Yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we've just done, the, you know, our webinar um, with, with the Payments Association and we spoke quite a lot about what this is going to look like. You know, we had the FCA on board and I would encourage, encourage anyone listening to this to, to maybe go back and, and, and have a listen to that because there was some really good feedback from some of the experts in the, in the market there as well as the FCA. But ultimately, um, what we're looking at is definitely um, a more CAS feel to, to safeguarding. So what what's the FCA has managed to achieve in CAS over the past maybe 10, 15 years, we're definitely going to see some of those rules being introduced into safeguarding. Uh, we're definitely going to be seeing a, a, a more... Um, like a safeguarding handbook, which will more clearly define the, the the rules and regulations in terms of being able to be compliant for firms. That's absolutely going to be um, on the cards for for this year, um, and then that will obviously um, be adapted and changed over over the next. Uh, well, I would anticipate the next couple of years. Um, again, firms, especially smaller firms, are, are quite concerned about the effect of this. Um, I think really. What my message would be is that this is not um, new to the to the financial services market. Um, you know, this has been done in asset management firms, in insurance companies. Um, so, and it's been successful. It's been successfully implemented by firms across the board. So, so you're not alone. There are partners, you know, such as Autorec, but not just Autorec, audit firms, um, other tech providers out there that have uh, specific solutions to help you with these problems. Definitely leverage of partnerships to help achieve uh, compliance within the space. If you are uh, worried um, or concerned about the effect that this may have, you're not alone. There are there are th- uh, you know um, solutions out there to to help you with with your problems. Um, I, you know we we've just done a a survey across the entire payments market globally. Um, and that, that should be coming out um, soon. So again, I would encourage some of the listeners to to maybe go have a look at that and see what your competitors in the markets are saying um, in terms of what their goals and their strategies are moving forward in in twenty twenty four and beyond. You know, we mentioned this at the at at the top of this uh, podcast that leveraging off these partnerships and creating forums for open discussion um, will definitely lend itself to to helping firms um, successfully implement these changes for 2024 and beyond. Nick, thanks again. Um, Really, really some great messages in there. Um, And I think that'll be a really valuable 
episode for for listeners as well. Um, thanks everybody for listening at home. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of Insights Podcast. Um, we hope to see you on the next. Thank you again, Nick. Thank you. To access more podcasts, videos, and articles, go to thepaymentsassociation.org.